0: From the team at CTS, this is the Train Right Podcast, our show for endurance athletes who want to learn how to train more effectively and improve their performance. I'm Coach Kern Malcolm, your host for the running edition of the show, where it's my job to interview top coaches, scientists, experts, and athletes in the world of running to bring you actionable training tips you can apply to your training. Make sure you also listen in to our cycling edition of the show with my co-host, Coach Adam Pulford, which alternates weekly with the running episodes. Now, let's dive into the show and learn how you can train right. Where are you currently going to purchase all your sports nutrition needs? If you didn't immediately yell, The Feed, you're missing out. The Feed is the largest online marketplace for sports nutrition, offering brands you know and love, from Goo to Scratch Labs to Morton. They have you covered. Plus, they have athlete customizable supplements called Feed Formulas. I just got my subscription in the mail last week, and I'm super impressed. Feed Formulas are personalized for you and were developed in part with EF Pro Cycling team doctor, Dr. Kevin Sprouse. Your subscription comes with 28 daily pouches, no more individual pill bottles falling out of your bathroom vanity, making a mess. The Athlete Daily Formula gives you strong nutritional coverage for anything that might be slipping through the cracks with your day-to-day nutrition. To get 50% off your first order, head over to thefeed.com slash train right in order today. Again, that's thefeed.com slash train right. My guest today is CTS coach Cliff Pittman. Cliff has been an endurance athlete from a young age, competing nationally in both track and cross country through high school before enlisting in the military. While he's new to our coaching team, Cliff has been coaching endurance athletes for over a decade and became a full-time trail and ultra coach in 2019. I brought Cliff on today to talk about training and racing for mountainous and higher altitude races. We cover what we are both working on with athletes ahead of big fall ultras, what mistakes we've made or see our athletes make and how athletes can best prepare themselves for this style of racing, including the panic that sets in four to six weeks out. I really enjoyed this conversation with Cliff and I hope you do too. Cliff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I think you're new for this audience. I don't think you've had, I've had you on any of the round tables yet. So welcome, welcome. Um, it's going to be fun. We're going to have a fun conversation today, I think. But because you're new to this audience, I'm wondering if you can just introduce yourself to them, formal, informal, whatever you want the audience to know about you.
1: Yeah, I don't know how to do formal, so we'll keep it informal. But my name's is Cliff, Cliff Pittman. I'm a CTS coach, and I tend to specialize in, in ultra running. That's my my focus and, and what I have a passion for. Um been coaching in some capacity for a little over a decade, but I've uh, been fortunate enough to do it full-time for the last uh, last five years or so, and really within the ultra scene for the last three years. And then I am new to CTS, though, so that is, has been a really fun transition over the last few months is to to join the team and be able to learn from a lot of brilliant coaches that, that we have.
0: Yeah. We've got a cool, a cool coaching staff. That's why I came to CTS was I needed. I wanted that education. I wanted some other people in my corner so that when mm. I didn't know the answer, someone, someone would, right. That's kind of yes. the whole, the whole idea. I think we use a lot of team, team think. Um, well, welcome to CTS. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I sent you this this topic, and I said, you know, we're in the thick of the season, right? Like High Lonesome just happened. Never Summer just happened. Um, Hard Rock just happened. You know, kind of classic big mountain races. There, um, Mont Blanc 90k was supposed to happen in Europe. It got canceled due to weather. We've got Wasatch, Leadville, Fat Dog 120, Grindstone. All these kind of you know, the mountains are open. Snow has melted it's, you know, kind of peak mountain season, maybe after a flatter spring. And so we've got some people that are probably starting to panic a little bit as their a, their a fall race comes up. And I'm wondering what you have athletes getting ready for right now.
1: Yeah, you bet. And so I'm sure there's, you know, a lot of people that might be listening right now that, that have Leadville here in a few weeks. And so maybe there's some panic associated with that. And I've got one athlete that's preparing for Leadville. He, he lives in Kansas. And so that's fun. Um, <laughs> I've got an athlete preparing for the bear 100. And so we're still a good, you know, I think eight weeks out from that one. Um, he, he lives a van life. And so like, there's no barriers in terms of training. Yeah. We, his mobile camp is at Flagstaff. So we, we live high, train high, train low. And <laughs> it's, you know, been, been a lot of fun. Um, I've got an athlete preparing for uh, Utmb and I'm hopefully I can even say this right. Puerto Vallarta in Mexico mm-hmm. so the hundred k, and so you know, that one starts at five thousand, ends at sea level. Um, he lives at sea level and on the weekend travels to Mexico City and trains um, up at seven thousand plus, and then um, again athlete preparing for Bigfoot two hundred. That's that's right around the corner. That's and that is
0: right around really the close. Corner. <laughs> and Very so close, he, not not this week, next week I think. Right. Yep.
1: That's, that's correct. He lives in Iowa. And so that's probably, you know, of all the athletes that I have coming up that to be racing at altitude, that's been probably one of the biggest challenges just because not only do we not have mountains nearby, but it's just no technical terrain whatsoever. So yeah,
0: and we're, gonna, we're gonna dive into that, right? Kind of what, yep. what are the limiting factors here? And I love it. I love I grew up in the Midwest. Um, mm-hmm. I live out in the Pacific Northwest now. But I think it's, you know, I have a All kinds of Midwesterners or people from the, like folks from the South, um, people who live in like big urban sprawls in Europe as well, Mm -hmm. who, you know, this, the terrain in their backyard does not look like the terrain they're racing on. And that presents a specific form of challenges that we're going to talk about. I think I told you that I have four individuals in UTMB and of the four of them, one lives in mountainous terrain. Um, which is which is a huge issue. So besides the technicality or lack of altitude, as we kind of both pointed out there with athletes, you know, what other challenges do you see for athletes as they approach this style of racing?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing is just the the fear of the unknown. And you know, we we see it so often with an athlete that that goes to a new distance. You know, they they've run a fifty mile before, but they're preparing for a hundred, and it's just like, well. I just don't know how my body is going to respond at mile 70 or 80 or, or 90 just because I don't have that experience. And that's kind of the same thing, you know, mountains are intimidating altitudes, intimidating, and there's a big fear of the unknown that creates this lack of confidence, I think, um, on how we're going to respond. And so that's really the big challenge is just being able to, to talk through that and, being able to say okay this is how we can prepare and this is how we can increase confidence and this is how theoretically you should respond and (laughs) um yeah but i think that's the biggest thing um you know i think the other thing is just maybe a little bit of not employing a ton of strategies throughout the whole training cycle you know if we have six months to prepare for a race well a lot of these people want to jump in an altitude tent right off the bat. And it's like, well, you know, (laughs) um, let's discuss that later on. There's some other things that we can do. Let's see if that's a good idea. But right now, let's just get as fit as possible, you know. Um, Yeah, 100%. I think those are some of the biggest challenges, like idleness. Like, why am I not adapting right now?
0: Yeah, I think I love the point about feeling like not un- not underprepared, but the unknown kind of drives that sensation that we could be underprepared. And I think even those who live in the mountains, you know, feel that way when it's a new distance or um going to be new terrain for them. I mean, I'm afraid of a flat 100, to be honest, because I don't know what it feels like to like Javelina sounds terrifying to me. because. Yeah. What does it mean to run for that long? Yeah. Like, I've never done that before. I really like hiking. Um, <laughs> but obviously every race presents its own challenges. And then I think you're right. That point about I've got athletes who, you know, months and months and months out are like, I need to get vert in. I need to get vert in right now. Right. I'm like, okay, like, you know, slow, like, slow down. It's going to be okay. You know, trying to instill confidence in their fitness, instill confidence in them being healthy, mm-hmm. instill confidence in building that fitness, I think all of a sudden becomes, you know, mission critical. And now, you know, I've got a a bunch of athletes for UTMB, for Harakana, for these kind of fall, these fall ultras where it's like, okay, like now we're, now we're in vert season. Mm -hmm. Now we're in final prep specificity season, but you're right. It's kind of like, let's get you as fit as possible first. And then layer in that, those long runs that are, you know, more mission critical, those, that, you know, making a camp or a trip out to get more sustained vert or some downhill in their legs. And I think that's one that comes up time and time again. For me with athletes is that, you know, the tallest thing in their city is a bridge. Mm-hmm. And they're wondering how many or or I, I've had an athlete who the tallest thing in their in their city was a dam. And he would run repeats on the dam. And that made him confident. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, we leaned into that for sure. But yeah. for athletes that don't have these long sustained downhills or uphills um that seems to be kind of the the question i get the most from athletes is like how am i going to prepare for those long climbs and i'm wondering if you've taken any tactics with athletes who either are terrain limited um you know be it be it race specificity or just like the they don't have as much fur in their backyard they're in florida they're in they're in wisconsin they're in iowa um they're in kansas what what can we do for those athletes or what have you done for those athletes to try to prepare them for those sustained, those sustained or repeated Mm -hmm. climbing and descending that we see in these races?
1: Yeah, you bet. I think that goes right back to what we just talked about and something we can probably with, you know, looking at the outline that you sent over, like every, every answer is like, get fit, right? Like fitness makes everything better. (laughs) And so just kind of talking through how that translates, like, you know, the fitter you are, the more you're going to be able to problem solve and, and be able to to work through these issues on the course. And um, you can be slightly underprepared in one aspect of specificity. And if we have enough fitness that, that can really make up for it and go a long ways. But I think as far as specific strategies, you know, if we if we have enough time to, to plan out and if we do a long range plan, that's, you know, say six months out for one of these events, then we can start circling weekends on the calendar, when it's an ideal time to get out to the mountains, get out to, um, you know, even if it's not, um, you know, if someone's racing Leadville, if they can't get out to, to Colorado, well, what's the next best thing regionally for you? Um, and then the third is like, well, what's the third best thing that you have, you know, in your area, like you talked about with the the bridge or, you know, I've had an athlete that, that did the exact same thing in a parking garage and it's just up and down a parking garage, you know, with the ramps. And so I, I think it's just a matter of getting getting creative to, yes, there's the the physiological adaptation there, but there's also the, the the psychological component of, okay, I feel better because I had this training intervention that checked the box, even if it wasn't apples to apples. Um, but I think the big thing is just getting out to the mountains if you can, you know, four to six weeks out or seven weeks out and planning that, that three-day training camp or finding a, you know, a B race and experiencing altitude, experiencing the mountains so that you can say like, okay, I know exactly what I'm getting into.
0: Yeah, I think that's really that that's really important. And I think if if you're signed up for a, a goal, and this is going to kind of tie into our next topic, if you're so if this is man, if this is your, the race that you have wanted to do, it, it's that UTMB or whatever it is, where it's it's taken time to get into the race, maybe you don't know if you're gonna get in again, like, trying to dedicate a weekend here or a weekend there to, to bump into some more mountainous terrain, I think can go such a long way. I just have two of my Texans in UTMB. I've got two Texas guys and, uh, they both went to different Colorado races this past weekend to, I guess two weekends ago now to get in kind of a a long day on their feet, to get in, um, to, to get their quads sore, to have that experience of being, you know, eight or 10 hours into something. Um, because I do think that one, you know, there's that physiological component, that's a pretty good time out from race day. But at the same time, the other part of that is it's confidence, right? It's like, I feel confident in my preparation, I feel confident in my prep, I feel confident in my fitness and my ability to troubleshoot. And so I think that's really, you know, that at the end of the day, you're right, being fit is kind of form. being fit and being healthy are kind of the two, the two big ones that I I preach to my athletes as well. So I'm glad that I'm glad that's something that we're all doing that. That's good. That's good. We're on the same page. Um, the kind of the next piece of that puzzle. Oh, I guess one question before we jump into the next kind of big issue for a lot of these athletes is have you utilized or have like personally or with athletes utilized strength as kind of, you know, obviously we've got athletes doing repeats on bridges and, you know, parking garages and that kind of thing. But what about, you know, are they doing anything in the weight room, to build that confidence outside of running if they have the time and capabilities to
1: do that. Right. So I have a, I would say probably about 75 to 80% of my athletes do strength work. Um, but I wouldn't say that we've, that any of the athletes that I've worked with have used that as a specific training intervention for the specific adaptations for improving downhill running. Um, you know, maybe we get, as we get you know into that, like, uh, phase where it's sport specific with uh, the strength training, then we might add some eccentric strength training in there. So, you know, that lot, nice little bump, but that really gets pretty far away from specificity and maybe those adaptations translate, maybe they don't, but the best yeah, thing we can do is like, like, right. Yeah, exactly. The best thing we can do is find the adaptations in running in the, in the specific mode that we're going to be utilizing and on race day. So, I've, t- I've tended to kind of shy away from that and, and don't want to overpromise an athlete that, okay, yes, if you do these specific exercises eccentrically, it's going to translate to better downhill running.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's just another thing that we're adding to be like, well, maybe this could help. I think another thing I've seen in a lot of athletes do Pre-pandemic, it was a little bit easier depending on where they live as far as gym access. But man, the Nordic track treadmills have gotten pretty good. Yeah. I think I'm allowed to drop brand name there, but it's <laughs> like to be, to be able to crank it up to, you know, pretty steep inclines and do sustained hiking yes. on them. It's, it's great for athletes that are injured. Um, but I've seen athletes living in perdi- perdi- like particularly like the Midwest or like kind of the South and Southeast mm-hmm. in the U S or it's the winter. And they're training for a hilly spring race where they can't run on vert for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I found that living in Bozeman, Montana for a long time, couldn't run any vert in the winter because everything was snow. You had to ski. Um, getting on a treadmill and getting on an incline treadmill seems to be, once again, is it the most specific thing? Maybe, maybe not. But having that in your back pocket of like, oh, well, I've been on the treadmill and I can hike. You know, I've been able to hike for 30 minutes or 60 minutes in a row seems to... Nope. I think prompt some of that, that confidence and some of that, I think it can get fairly specific, which is nice for an athlete. Yeah,
1: that's such a good point. And, you know, even throw on, throw on the vest, carry all your mandatory gear, load it up with your, your fluids and your nutrition and, and get a feel for, you know, that weight and, and get on the treadmill and, and crank that thing up. So, yeah, yeah
0: I wouldn't advise bringing your pole, your pole. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's good for practicing a, a power hike without poles. Yeah. Um, I definitely would not bring your poles on the treadmill, but that I think Remember, it, your gym will definitely be really upset if you show up with your your running poles to get on the treadmill. I heard
1: this rumor about this outdoor treadmill that has like rocks and everything in the, in the belt, but that could be one of those you know spoof things too. So who knows? That's
0: cool. There, <laughs> there, there are like tread, like you know, like treadmill climbing walls, essentially, right? Yeah. We use those in in the lab yeah. um, before, but also um, there's a number of bouldering and climbing gyms that have those for endurance work too, which feels like you're just on you're on a wall that never ends. Yeah. Which it's pretty cool. Exactly. Um, man, we'll do weird stuff to kind of be <laughs> prepared and confident for things. Is kind of what I get out of these conversations. Yes. And I'm like, if anyone is listening who's new to ultras, they're also going to think we're insane. Right. Um, The other piece of the puzzle, besides being worried about the vert and worried about the climbing and descending, is obviously not every mountainous race is at extreme elevation, but, you know, oftentimes those things go hand in hand. Um, Even modest elevation can seem really intimidating. Whenever we ran camps out of Colorado Springs for trail and ultra runners, everyone thought they were going to be the slowest. Everyone thought that they were going to be the worst at altitude. And it turns out, you know, altitude is hard for a lot of people, many times, and we can get in our heads about it. But, you know, you mentioned you've got one athlete living in a van. That's pretty cool. That gives them a lot of flexibility for going out early, for staying at altitude, etc. But what about for, you know, what else are we working with here when we've got athletes who maybe don't have that flexibility when it comes to getting out at an ideal time pre-race?
1: Yeah, you know, I think one of the most elementary things that we can do that often gets overlooked when preparing for any extreme environment is just having RPE rate of perceived exertion very dialed in because, you know, your, your heart rate zones, your pace zones, all of that goes out the window with all the variables at, you know, physiological and technological variables (laughs) um, at, at altitude. But, you know, if you're, if you're, if you get RPE five dialed in, then RPE five is the same at, 14,000 feet as it is at sea level. (laughs) It's the same at 110 degrees as it is at 30 degrees. And so just, you know, learning how to um, be really in tune with your efforts and being able to train by RPE, having that really well calibrated, and then being able to translate that on race day when you get into the mountains. I think that's probably one of the most elementary things that we can do, and it's non-scientific. Right. And it's really hard like for athletes that have like for myself, a track background, like that was really hard for me to transition to RPE when I got on the trails, but it, it makes sense. Like cyclists, right. You know, you have the most precise measurement of output with power. Like you want me to go based off how I feel. <laughs> it's, it's a hard transition for a lot of athletes, but it's so, so important to be able to properly manage your effort when you're in extreme environments. And that's especially true. at at
0: altitude. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a really, really valid point because our other answer would be like, well, fitness, fitness comes first. But (laughs) um, the RPE thing is a really great thing to lean back into because you're right. You know, RPE5 is going to be RPE5 no matter where you are because it's based on how you feel at that intensity. So that is something to definitely pay attention to when getting to altitude. The other thing that I thought was, could be useful for athletes. And as I mentioned, the Texas, my Texas guys who just went out to Colorado, you know, we kind of had the, the double the double whammy there. We got in a practice race. We got in a practice race that had vert and we got in a practice race that took them to altitude so yes. they could experience like, you know, what does it feel like to eat and drink at elevation? Mm-hmm. What does it feel like when I show up? Maybe an unideal time, maybe 48 hours pre-race or 72 hours pre-race, yeah. a little bit kind of that, that in-between zone that we try to avoid or even the day before, you know, kind of building, once again, building that confidence or at least getting ready to troubleshoot. Mm-hmm. In that environment, um, you mentioned an altitude tent earlier with athletes kind of being, you know, chomping at the bit to utilize technology like that. Is there anything that you have advised athletes to do or not to do, or is it real? I mean, it's obviously very individual when it comes to altitude prep and what the athlete is available to them. But I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious if there's anything else besides that kind of RPE, yeah. like really leaning into that that you might advise an athlete to do pre race at higher elevation. Yeah, you
1: bet. So the first thing is just the exactly what you mentioned with the training camp or the the B race is getting out to altitude in advance. Um, you know, another thing is, is the race specific strategies. Um, so are you going to arrive super early? You know, are you able to get there a week out? You know, how high is the race that is going to determine how early you need to get out there? Um, and if you can't, because not everybody can, then, you know, maybe it's best that we fly in the night before we get there the morning of, you know, and hopefully we can avoid that window, that 24 to 72 hour window where your body really starts to go through those adaptations. Um, and you, and you feel, you know, sick. So I I think that just the timing of it all, which is something that we should, you know, really plan out far in advance before we have, you know, our, our travel itinerary nailed down, Um, to, to kind of know, okay, it it goes back to the confidence piece too, right? Like, well, if I know that I'm going to get there 10 days in advance, I can kind of just file away this, this whole, um, adapting to altitude throughout the training process, focus on getting fit, work into the specifics when the timing is right. I know that I'm going to get there in time for my body to adapt to the stress of altitude. So I don't have to worry about that so far out.
0: Yeah, I think it's that there's a there's a big psychological component to altitude and to heat. I think with a lot of athletes, tr- like acclimation is a real yep. thing. Physiological changes do take place when you're exposed to those extreme environments. But I think a lot of us really get in our head and we say, oh, I'm always bad at altitude. I'm always bad in the heat. And it's like, okay, well... That's not going to set us up for success at no. all. So I think you're. I think spending more time out there, if if possible, either early ahead of the race or w- via those training camps, I think helps to pr- promote some of that. Changing the narrative of oh, I'm bad at mm-hmm. X, Y, or Z. So I think that is important for us to remember. Kind of, I mean, a lot of us learn from experience. Some of <laughs> us, uh, I would say that most of us in the, the ultra world definitely learn from experience. Right. Um, you know, outside of education, that's kind of what you have to, to adapt and grow from. And so I'm wondering as you work with athletes, you know, what personal experiences you might be drawing from as far as making mistakes when it comes to showing up to a, a mountainous race or showing up to a race that's at more moderate to higher elevation.
1: Yeah. You know, I think just the the magnitude of how, how much, um, our, our sweat rate or how much we need, how many fluids we need to drink is impacted you know, if we think about just ha- the kidneys are, are working overtime, the extra urination, um, the, the resp- increased respiration, um, the cool, dry air might dry the, the sweat a little bit, you know, faster. If we're down here in the humidity in the south. It's like, well, we know how much we're sweating, you know, because it's not going anywhere. <laughs> um, and yes. so that's, that's kind of a, a personal example that I just learned from one of my athletes that I didn't drive home. Hey, you're going to have to you're going to have to. Intake additional fluids to account for these these changes and um, the sweat rate, and he ended up taking in less because he didn't think he was sweating as much, didn't think he needed it. Oh! And so that was just a few weeks ago at the Last Call Fifties, and you know, at Fair Play, that's like ten thousand feet, just right there next to Leadville, and so we learned a valuable lesson that we're going to take in the (laughs) Leadville, and. It was a it was a good learning experience, um, but but definitely something as a coach that I that I've got to drive home of like this is this is what to expect. Um, yeah, we've got a sweat rate dialed in at a hundred degrees. It's likely going to be the same thing, you know, whenever you get up to altitude.
0: Yeah, I I like that. We I mean mistakes are. Are good mistakes. Like we 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 hate for them to happen during A races. That's why B races are a wonderful idea. But yeah, I remember rolling into my first hundred was Leadville, and as you know, as one does, my first one hundred was Leadville, and I was convinced that I could eat a bunch of things that I definitely could not eat. And I was like, I didn't know I wouldn't have saliva. <laughs> like, you know, yep. I was taking like handfuls of Skittles down the trail and they would just ball up in my mouth. And so really trying to find, you know, you're like, you're right. Like everything dries out a lot quicker mm-hmm. up there. And so I think there are these little things. I've also had a lot of athletes now. And this is not, this is not like, I feel like this could be fear mongery, but I've had a lot of athletes now at, higher drier races you know have things like their throat hurts after a certain Mm -hmm. point like eating becomes really hard because you've been rest you've been you've been ventilating you've been breathing a lot and this really this really dry air maybe it's dusty or maybe it's cold and all of a sudden you kind of have these other things that you have to troubleshoot through that after you've done it for the first time you're like oh right like my throat might hurt at a certain point so like i brought a ton of lozenges to bad water it's not very high at Badwater, right. but it's really dry and it's really warm. And I knew from, you know, running Taha Rim Trail, running Leadville, like at some point, like my athlete's throat was going to like start to yeah. kill him. <laughs> and so I had my baggie of lozenges ready to go yeah. because, you know, I've witnessed these things happen. So I think, you know, it can be intimidating if it's your first high altitude race or your first mountainous race. But, you know, that's, that's the, the learn from the mistakes that I've got an athlete right now where I was like, go find all of the old race reports for this mm-hmm. race, read some old race reports from people, you know, who had or have blogs Absolutely. because they're going to, they're going to tell you the mistakes yes. they made for the most part, because ultra running is riddled yes. with them. So I think that's kind of a, should me, I, I hope should be, you know, kind of confidence, uh, inspiring or boosting for those listening just because it's i think it's easy to worry that you're going to make mistakes and the truth of the matter is is like you're likely going going to to. so yeah you know try try to learn from your your friends or your your trail your trail you know your trail community about what mistakes they made say what did you not know going into this race and what could i what could I avoid? I found at Leadville too, at a certain point, I couldn't run and eat at the same time. I just, I needed too much oxygen to do <laughs> either of those things. So there's a photo of me somewhere standing at the top of Hope Pass, eating a oatmeal cream pie yeah. because I could not, could not hike and, and consume food at the same time. Cause I needed to breathe. Um So I would say, you know, go easy on yourself and, and recognize walking in, you're probably going to make mistakes yes. and that is okay. Cause it's going to make the next one that much better. Um, but I think kind of, you know, one of the reasons why I, I pinged, pinged you and pinged coaches for this conversation was, you know, we, I've got a bunch of athletes who are looking at races, you know, four, six, eight weeks out right now. And that's the time where you really, I think, start to panic. Mm-hmm. You start to question, like, how am I possibly going to be ready for this yep. race in only six weeks? Um, I feel that way about fall racing right now, too. And so I'm wondering what can we. What are you telling athletes? What what can we tell athletes listening to this, you know, to, to ease, ease those fears and or be like, just, you know, kind of check these boxes and, you know, in the next, the next month or two, and you're going to be, okay. yeah,
1: go make some mistakes, right? Like (laughs) get yourself in a situation. um, If you can get out to the mountains or, or similar, um, get yourself in a situation where you can accumulate some personal experience and learn so that you have more tools in your tool belt to strategize for race day, more experience, those mistakes that you make that we just talked about. Um, this is the ideal time to get out and do that. You know, you're four to six weeks out. This is the time to go out and, and do a training camp. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, for example, the the athlete that I'm working with, that's, that's racing Leadville, he can do the last call fifties uh, six weeks out and then Four weeks out, he came here to. He wasn't able to go back to Colorado, so he came here where I live in Northwest Arkansas in the Ozark Mountains. Mountains. So, like, if you're listening to the audio version of this, it's I just did air quotes for mountains because they're they're not you know they're nothing like you know uh, a lot of the larger mountains around the United States. But, anyways, he was able to come out and get very similar. Like training without the altitude but with a 105 degree heat index and he was able to still get seven mile climbs and seven mile descents on gravel mountain roads which he ended up getting more climbing and descending than he will get at Leadville so that worked out well for him to come out here and have a three-day training camp and I got to connect with him which was great you know support him out there but I think that if you're four to six weeks out right now and you're like oh I've got <laughs> gotta be real productive with this time frame. Um, do your best to get out and, and, and make some mistakes, learn from them, go into your race more knowledgeable with that personal experience and start problem solving now. I think that's something that, you know, I like to tell my athletes, like the week of race, like, okay, th- this week we're going to do as much problem solving as we can before the race so that well, if we've imagined every you know, negative possible outcome you know, on race day, then we've already imagined it and we've already problem solved for it. Then that's less mental, you know, hamster wheel that you're on trying to spin the wheel, um, on race day, trying to problem solve. And just that confidence, you know, it always comes back to confidence. I think if we have the confidence on race day to say, okay, if this happens, I can work through it. Something happens that I haven't thought of. I know that I can work through it, which is like my definition of confidence. It's not, having all the answers. It's just a belief in yourself that you can work through it and that you can get to the point where you find the answer.
0: Yeah. And then I think the only thing I'll add to that is, you know, I think it's really easy to get hung up on. Did I do the the one long run I was really supposed wow. to do, or did I do the one workout that really mattered type of thing? And, and I try to remind athletes that, you know, once again, kind of going back to that fitness piece, like you're a summation of all of the training yes. you've done. There's not a key workout that's going to make or break your race. It's not going to be, Oh, I had to get this back to back in, or I had to get this long steady state run in or whatever it might be. Like you are a summation of all the training that you've done and that, you know, don't get hung up in the next four to six weeks on, you know, things being perfect because you've been putting in months of training, you know, the hay is the hay has been piling high in that barn for a long time. We're just trying to stuff just the (laughs) A little bit more in, right? Like we're in the, we're in the minuscule, like last bale or two of hay in the last four to six weeks, given your athletic history. So um, it's never going to be perfect anyways, right? Never going to be perfect. No, it's not. Oh my goodness. So that that is a fallacy. Balance and perfection are both fallacies. Um, (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Is there anything else that you would like to, that you don't think that we addressed or that you think athletes might have concerns about?
1: think that we can just drive home that point of, you know, the, what you were saying of like the accumulation of just all the training that you've done throughout this training cycle, but really over the, over the years and just lean on the experience, you know, whatever experience you have, it doesn't necessarily have to be ultra running like lean on experiences that you have in life because I guarantee you, if you're listening to this, you've overcome something significant and it doesn't have to be in a race Um, you've overcome something significant and you have a reason to be confident and you have a reason to be proud of yourself. And even if your fitness isn't where you want it to be and you feel that you haven't checked all the boxes that you want to check, that's okay because you can get out into an environment like this and you can figure it out you can find your way through it. Even with some things that you feel aren't right with, you know, your training and that's, that's totally okay. It happens all the time when people show up and they're not fully prepared and they put out a really masterful performance and they surprised himself.
0: That's perfect. That's your pep talk folks. That's all you got. That's your pep talk. You're going to re- just listen to that last like minute or two right before race day. And you're going to be just fine. Cliff, where can um, folks find you on online if they, they want to learn more about you or more yeah, about absolutely. your
1: coaching? So Instagram is the best place to find me. Um, the handle is at coach cliff Pittman. And I'm pretty active on there.
0: Sweet. And we'll, we'll put those in our show notes for everyone listening as well. Cliff, thank you so much. Yeah, that was thank really you. Wonderful. I appreciate
1: it. It was, it was great to be on here.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on the train right podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainwrightcom slash podcast, where you can find social links and more for our guests. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends and leave us a rating on iTunes.